So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So, we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us. We entreat you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Second Corinthians 5, 17-20. Good morning. It's good to see uh, all of you out today. we got a lot of visitors and we're really thankful for your presence with us. Glad the ski, ski boys made it back in one piece. Um, I said to Greg, I know he's tired because sitting in the hot tub with everybody skis is, is you know, kind of make you sore a little bit. Somebody's got to do it. Somebody's got to do it. You want an empty hot tub. Um, anyway, good to have you all back. Great to see Coleman Moxley. Some of you all came after the Moxleys were here, but they were very instrumental in the, the growth of this church and just did a lot of good things. Live out in Oklahoma now, and Coleman is at Fort Bragg. Um, great to see the, the uh, Moss Sawyer folks. Um, here, I didn't recognize Sarah Beth at first, um, but now I see that little face and the sprouts and all that coming out. So our theme, as you can see on the banners that are placed throughout the building, just a reminder, is, is sent. Our theme for 2022 is sent, <coughs> loving the world like God loved us. And so we talked about over the past few weeks how though we are not a people of the world, we are definitely a people whom the Lord has sent out into the world. We are a sent people. At least in theory, that's what we're supposed to be as followers of Jesus. He was sent by the Father into the world. He says, as you sent me, so I send them into the world. So we're a people on a mission. We're really not the people of God if we're a people who's lost our sense of mission. That's part of our DNA. That's part of what being a, a disciple of Jesus is. And so overcoming uh, weeks and months, there's going to be numerous lessons, Lord willing, on kind of the practical applications. How do we, what are the takeaways? How do we execute or implement this mission we're going to talk about things like how to connect with people, you know, get really kind of on the boots on the ground in a sense in some of our lessons. But before we do that, I do want to pause once more to make sure that we are comprehending the full scope, all the dimensions of the mission that Christ has assigned to us. I mean, it would be kind of tragic and, and, and ironic if the mission that we are executing out in the world doesn't accurately reflect the mission of God in the world. If we've truncated that or narrowed it down or something like that, I don't think this is a you know, sort of a theoretical problem. I think this is happening all over the place. Um, and it's happened in evangelical Christianity, quote unquote. Uh, it's part of its history, actually. And historians, have talk, historians of religion talk about that a lot. Uh, some ways doesn't reflect you know, sort of early post-apostolic Christianity in some fundamental ways in terms of its relationship with the world. Um, and so in other words, another way to put this, you know, the forest and trees analogy, before we actually drop down into the trees and start walking among them, we need to make sure that we can see the forest, that we've grasped what the forest is supposed to be. A lot of times, 
especially for certain temperaments, we, we, we want to talk about doing and applying before we know what we should be doing and applying. Like, that's a piece of cake. Let's move on to the action. Well, that can be worse than nothing or kind of going up the wrong tree. Um, so I just want to one more time at the risk of, of, of redundancy in an interactive way today, if, if you want to play along, that's why I sent out the email primer, um, talk about and discuss a little bit um, this idea of, of what it is that we are called to do. Um, I want to first of all raise uh, the question, who are we? Who are we as a people, as, as disciples of Jesus, as a church? There are many New Testament metaphors uh, that are used to describe uh, this role of ours in the world and by, by virtue of that, who we are. We are salt. We'll talk about some of these, in fact, in little mini-series in this year, Lord willing. We're salt of the earth. We're light of the world. We serve the great physician. So we are, by implication, you know, medical assistants or nurses, if you will. We're not the physician, but we're working with the physician to heal the sickness, the sin sickness of the world. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, which Greg just read for us, we read that we are ambassadors for Christ. Ambassadors for Christ. And I want to, first of all, talk then about what is the role of an ambassador. That's going to be our lesson today, ambassadors for Christ. So let's talk about this question of what is the role of an ambassador. Real question. What, in other words, what does an ambassador do? Uh, what's the, what the function or purpose or role of an ambassador? We need, we, have we got mic runners? Okay, great, Nick. Who's got something here on that? Thought I saw a hand. No? Greg? Greg. Okay, John. Go with John and then Greg. He extends the presence. Since he's a presidential appointee, he extends the uh, policies of the president. Excellent. Yeah, so assuming it's a president, ancient world probably was a king or some kind of monarch, right? But yeah, the leader has sent him out to extend uh, the policies of, of the leader. He doesn't just make it up. Whoever sent him gets to give the agenda that he then passes on to whoever the audience is. I was going to try to reflect what Ben had said because, yeah. you know, so I don't think Ben's here, but uh, since Ben's wife has a role similar to this as so she goes down before the U.S. military goes down, and I think it's so like she can establish almost some like goodwill and relations, like speaks the language, understands the, the customs and the culture mm -hmm. of the place you're going so that you're not just saying, here's who we are, just we're taking over, right. but a little bit more of this like, uh, yeah, just a, a kind of a connection point a little mm -hmm. bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Excellent. Other thoughts? I think most of us, yeah, uh, Mike? Mike Wheeler. Sorry. Aren't intermediary. So all that's great. You're capturing really important ideas. The, the, the king or the president or whoever it is, the, the, the leader executes the whole thing in the first place, appoints the person who goes out on his or her behalf as an intermediary, right? But they're, they're supposed to be communicating or representing the agenda or the policies, the wishes of the leader that sent them. They're, they're unfaithful, probably going to get recalled, maybe worse than that. You know, if they just start saying their own thing and going, going native or something. And yet they do have to put it in the language for the, the target audience to understand, like Greg was saying. You don't just roll in there and say it in your own terms. It won't, it won't land. It may be offensive. It may start a war. 
whatever. All right, so we understand what an ambassador is. Um, I think we could sum it up basically saying something like this, making known the intentions or the agenda of the sender. Making that known. Um, whatever the king is saying, that's what this, this ambassador should be saying. Now, as we think about being ambassadors for Christ, we have to remember who Christ is. He is called in one text the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So he's not just a king. Remember, the gospel of the kingdom of God or the gospel of the kingdom of heaven, these are terms that in Matthew and Luke, I might have reversed which one does which, but they're just everywhere. That's pretty much what the gospel is about. It's about the good news that the world's rightful king has landed. And he's going to be taking back all the territory that's his. And the territory is what? Where's the territory of Jesus? All of it. It's the heavens and the earth. It's all the people, it's the planet, it's everything. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. So all the kings out there everywhere, he's the king of them. He, he's the sovereign of the cosmos, of the universe. And so we are we're ambassadors of that kind of king, a king of the whole world. But more than that, we're ambassadors of a king who is actively renewing this world. So we have to understand the project that's in play. What's going on here? What's this king trying to do? He's in an active project of renewing, righting all that went wrong with his world by recreating it. That language of creation is used over and over. New creation. He is making all things new, as Revelation 21 puts it. Revelation 1 actually says something uh, very similar. So I want to briefly recapitulate or review God's intention for His creation for humans in that creation. I don't think you can just run to some statement in the New Testament, pluck it out with, out of the whole biblical narrative context. It means something in that context. That's why people throughout history have created great atrocities in the name of God and Jesus in the Bible. You know that Nazi Germany, they, they, they had to appeal to the Lutheran culture of Germany with all the history of the Reformation and all that. And they're kind of a switcheroo. The German church just followed for the most part. People like Dietrich Bonhoeffer were locked up and executed because the church went with that, you know, sort of white nationalist interpretation of purity and holiness and all that it just became Aryan racism. We, you know, we look back now and go, wow, that was weird. It wasn't weird to millions and millions of really smart people. Why? You start plucking stuff out without looking at the whole narrative you know, if you take away the Jewishness of Jesus, it's pretty easy to start saying some anti-Semitic things. And that's exactly what they did. You can't do that, though, because that's where it's, this is a Jewish story. That's just one example. So I want to just recapitulate what, or, or summarize what we've learned already. We went through a lot of this in our class, uh, Jake and I, on the mission of God that some of you were able to attend. Basically, what I want to look at is just what's, what are the high points, the 30,000-foot view of what God originally intended for His world and humans in that world? So if we go back to Genesis 1, a passage that we memorized in our family Bible education time a few weeks ago, we read here, and I'm not going to read the whole thing again, but that God created everything, and then on the, on the sixth day, you know, the, the, the last day of actual creation before the Sabbath, so the penultimate day of that creative week, He creates us. And he creates it in his image. So we're his image bearers. We reflect his presence out in the world. Just as he was the Lord of the world, the, the one in dominion over it, who, who was you know, sovereign over it, he calls us to subdue it, be, multi, uh, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. That's a word of dominion. And then another verb, similar, a related one, have dominion over 
what? Everything. So God is deputizing Adam and Eve, and by virtue of that, all humans, to be his co-regents, his co-rulers, his, his stewards of creation. That's the first thing we read about humans in the Bible. That, that's your orientation passage right there. It goes, what are we here for? What's our purpose? There you go. That's the first thing said. And it is revisited over and over. After the flood, what does he say to the, the, the survivors, Noah and his family? This. Same exact words. He's like decreated and recreated. Let's start again. And this is repeated over and over and over. And so is this idea of us being an image bearer. So our original role was to, to roll vis-a-vis the earth. In fact, he says you're, you're dirt. You are earth in some sense, but you're more than that too. So this isn't just an afterthought, all the stuff, all the matter. It was good. It was good. It was good. It was very good. Genesis 1 you know, all those verses throughout the creative week. So that's our purpose. Uh, to, to give it a little, you know, a finer point, in chapter 2, verse 15, he, talking about Adam and Eve in the garden, it says, The Lord God took the man and woman and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And we, we talked about this. I want to just remind you that these two verbs, avad, I'm probably mispronouncing the Hebrew here, but it means to serve, so they're to serve the garden. They're to serve the natural world God made. The second verb, shamar, means to guard, protect, or preserve. In fact, these two exact verbs are used over in Numbers 3 in talking about the Levites' role in the temple, in the, in the tabernacle, rather. They are to serve and they're to protect the tabernacle and the furnishings in, 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 inside there. Would you take from those two verbs, if it's talking about Levites in the tabernacle, that that's licensed to exploit the tabernacle? To just pave it, mow it over, and take the, let's take this gold. We could use that. We could make a thing and get us a lot of profit. No, that's not what these words mean. This isn't licensed to exploit. We're supposed to be the persons who are custodians on God's behalf. We, image, we bear His image out in creation to make it do what it was supposed to do, which is to bless everyone and to bring back glory to God. That was the original purpose. So any view of being a person of God, let's say we drop in later, you know, 500 years later in the biblical story, or in the Christian era, in the era of the church, our own era, which extends into the second coming, and we just start talking about our role and our mission, and we forget anything to do with our role vis-a-vis -vis the earth, the creation, we've already narrowed it significantly. Because this is where humans first appear. When he first gives them a charge, it's this. And this actually gets revisited in the Bible several times. So let's remember that anything else we learn about our role out in the world as we're sent into the world, it's not a role that's going to be an escapist mentality toward the, the, the world. Well, let's just get over here in a bubble. whole thing's you know, going to go away anyway. Who cares about all that? That's not what God says about it. Um, yeah, he's going to cleanse it with fire, but there's going to be a new heavens, new earth. As well, So we've got we to plug ourselves in the whole biblical story, not just cherry-pick verses later that, don't, that, that ignore the biblical context. All right, um, but things go awry. Um, I don't want, we can't read all these because we won't have time. But something happens to God's world, and it isn't good. And what happens is that basically His human co-rulers, these stewards that He's appointed human beings, His image bearers, don't really reflect His image. They do their own thing. They want to be sovereign on their own. And because of sin, rebellion against God, 
they bring upon themselves and all society and indeed all creation a distortion. Everything gets marred and broken and distorted. So in Genesis 3, remember how they were just to pick the fruit from the garden and enjoy the beauty of all the trees in the garden? Now he says, because you've listened to the voice of your wife, which was also the voice of Satan or the serpent, you've eaten of the tree that I told you you were not to eat of. Now he says, you're going to have this different relationship with the earth. Thorns and thistles. You're going to eat by the sweat of your face. So he already had work. They already had vocation. But now it's not optimal. Anybody relate? Can't wait till Monday morning, right? That sounds like a thing humans typically say. Monday at 8, man. Bring it on. I hate weekends. Thank God it's Monday. No, that's not the saying. Right? That's why. It's mixed. We can like work at times because originally we were designed for it. But it's always got this potential. My boss won't see my worth. Why are we doing it this way? You know, why doesn't this stupid board that I'm trying to do, it's not doing what David and Rick told me it would do when I try a handyman project. I think I called David 17 times the other day to hang a rack for clothing in our laundry room. It works. It has not fallen down yet. Thinking about doing pull-ups on it. Just to see. The earth, I mean, I mean, sorry, the society. It's not just individuals that, that get affected by sin. It's, it's all of society. What brought on the flood? The earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. They're all executing revenge on each other. They're, they're fighting each other. They're killing each other. Six chapters in. That's what sin does. It doesn't just affect me when I sin. It affects you when I sin. It affects us. It affects us versus them. It creates us versus thems. Right? Evening news right now. Super sad, depressing. But that's just same old broken record. And it'll happen again after this one. After Ukraine, Russia. Whatever happens from that. Not only that, all the creation was taken down because the stewards, the image bearers, uh, you know, uh, sort of abdicated, I guess, their role, their responsibility. The creation waits, Paul writes in Romans 8, with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. We've got a new, a new us coming, you know, the, the new spiritual body probably he's talking about, our resurrected selves that are coming with eternity, and creation's having to wait on that, and it's groaning. This is not a positive verb. We know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. It's waiting on God's redemption, but creation has to wait on us because God placed us in that role. All right, so you've got a huge problem. Here's the plot of the Bible. You know, there's the tension, like you always get in a movie, right, or a book. What's God going to do about it? He could abandon it, rightly. It rebelled. We rebelled. But he doesn't abandon his world. He promises instead to renew his world to restore his world. Indeed, to recreate his world. These are verbs from the Bible. I'm not making that up. Renew, restore, and newly create are the ones the, Bible, the Holy Spirit has chosen. Over and over, actually. So you could go to the Old Testament prophets, and you start reading these promises of a whole new cosmos, a whole new order coming, where weird things happen, like lions and lambs lie down together. And people get bit by adder, adders and they don't die. And there's no crying or mourning or injustice at all. And all the nations, instead of warring, are coming to Mount Zion in Jerusalem to worship the world's true God, Jesus. 
and shalom, blessing, thriving is just permeating the world. That doesn't sound like a tweak, does it? That sounds like a whole new thing. Maybe based on the other, he calls it a new heavens, new earth in Isaiah 65. Behold, I create new heavens and new earth. The former things shall not be remembered or come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in, which I, in that which I create. And then notice there's a new Jerusalem as well. I, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. Verse 19, no more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. You may recognize these words from what chapter of the Bible in the New Testament? Revelation 21, verbatim. A lot of those phrases are verbatim quoted. All right? John didn't just make it up the vision in Revelation 21. Hey, behold, I saw a new heavens, new earth, and the new Jerusalem coming down, and there's no sadness and no weeping and no death and no mourning. And, 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 and behold, you know, God is tabernacling finally, dwelling with his people. Behold, I'm making all things new. This all comes from the prophets. Jesus himself says some things that maybe we've trained ourselves to read over and not notice. What about this? Matthew 19, 28. Jesus said to them, to his disciples, I say to you, in the new world, huh? The new world? Has that always been in there? You ever had the, I never noticed that before. Go back and look. Get out your great-great-grandpa's, you know, KJV. You won't see this because it's ESV, but you'll see something like, I think the King, King James Version says the regeneration. I knew the New American Standard does. The NIV says the renewal. He's not just saying in heaven. There's a different word for that. He's saying that there is going to be a, a new world or a renewed or regenerated world. Then in Acts chapter 3, Peter in this sermon says that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for what? Restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets. Like Isaiah 65 and Ezekiel and others who said everything's going to be restored. It's going to be newly created, renewed, restored, made new. In our context, honestly, for this morning's lesson, the passage Greg Lewis read just a minute ago, Paul's 2 Corinthian letter, Corinthian letter um, chapter 5, verse 17, says this, So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. Okay, so we are ambassadors for Christ the King, and he happens to be, and we have to get this right, a king who is involved in nothing less than a new creation project. That, that's what he says. That's what Paul says about him. Right? He says, I'm going to renew and regenerate the whole world. And Paul, Paul says, if anyone's in Christ, there is a new creation. That's part of the deal. That's what you're signing on to. Is this whole new reality. So our second question this morning is, what is our mission? What is our mission? How would you, based on what we've just went through with the Bible and plugging 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if you're in Christ, there is new creation. How would you characterize our mission in the world? If we're people who are, quote, in Christ, if we're disciples of His. Not a trick question. I'm just asking you to basically distill what we just said. No takers? Don. Somebody's got to do it. 
mean, uh, I would think it would just be simply to promote the new creation, the new, the new order that's coming to yeah. be ambassadors of what's here, but what will ultimately be fulfilled. Perfect. If you, if you remember the way, uh, yeah, let's go to uh, Carly. Remember what John said a minute ago? The, the, the president or the king has sent us out, Jesus in this case. So, and he's, he's sent it, we're, if anyone is in Christ, that's me and you, all of us, we're, there's new creation. When we go talk to somebody about what Jesus is doing in the world and why they need to listen and why they need to be a part of that, we kind of need to be saying that. <laughs> that's what's going on. It'd be really weird if we got, nah, I just want to talk to you about one little thing. Baptism. That's a big part of it, as we'll see, but it's bigger than that. That's part of something bigger. And so we don't really have the right to just ignore the biblical narrative in which that occurs. Um, I preached a sermon a while back on baptism, Jesus' baptism fulfilling all righteousness. It plugged right into this whole thing. You know, recreation of the world, water and the Spirit at creation day one. Uh, after the, at the flood, there's the dove of the Spirit and water. Uh, Jesus' baptism, there's the dove of the Spirit and water. Our baptism is all about new creation. So this actually all fits together, but a lot of times we give a really narrow skeleton view of what the whole thing is. Who, who oh, Carly. I was just going to say telling people about God and how his Christianity helps the world. Totally. Telling people about God and how Christianity helps the world in every aspect of the world. That's really good. I appreciate that, Carly. Okay, so another way to put this is that we, we are agents maybe even exemplars of, of new creation. We're announcing it not only in verbally, but in the way we live and the way we are, the way we relate, what we care about. What would it look like for us to live? Let's, another way to put this question is this. And maybe get some practical day-in, day-out answers on this. What is our mission? In other words, what would it look like for us to live as new creation now as if God's new world, His new creation, were here already. Because if anyone is in Christ, there is new creation. And since it is here now, what does that look like on the ground? What would people see if a group of Christians, people who were in Christ, were living as if new creation were their reality now? Gary. should reflect Jesus. Yep. They should see Jesus in us. And that way they can ask us uh, why do we have this hope? Mm -hmm. And then we can respond with gentleness and respect and, and tell them about who we are ambassadors for. Yeah. Very good. First Peter 3. Gary pretty much quoted just then. John? I think about, um, I think about when I interface with, uh, with younger people in my kids' age and my kids in particular, mm -hmm. and um, you know, dovetailing with what Gary said, um, if I'm always, so, so to me it's, you do have to behave differently, you know, and they're gonna mm -hmm. see that in your, your behavior differently than the world that mm -hmm. is. And when I think about my kids and some of the younger folks that I know, if I had said it's about, um, that I'm being obedient to God. It somewhat turns them off, you know, because they're just wanting to talk about grace and being saved by grace, right? But there is some obedience that's involved, and that means sure. 
living differently, and mm -hmm. they, they see that differently. It's not that staunch, stern obedience that I kind of laid on my kids before I understood the, these mm -hmm. passages and about grace, but um, it's, uh, it's, it's an obedience formed from love and, and built out of the love that I have for yeah. them. That's and, so and, good. And that Christ has for me. And that really reminds me a lot of what Michael was talking about. Like, I don't think anything Michael was saying or the book he was referring to, Bob Goff's book, which we, we have too, he's not saying like you're off the hook with the with the holiness he's saying we're, we're, your best chance for having holiness is that you get the beauty of the story there's a big difference in going here's 37 things you better do or else try that and see how appealing that is to people or you could say god is doing this thing to redeem the entire world and get rid of all the mess and darkness and evil and violence and hatred and prejudice and immorality He's doing that. He wants you to come be a part of that. Here's what that looks like. It looks like these 37 things. That's a lot different. You still got the 37 things. Don't worry, 37 thing people. All right, don't worry. Nobody's saying, let's get rid of that. John's not saying that. It's, it's, it's actually beautiful to do things the Lord's way. It's more fun to be obedient. Right? That's a secret that the devil doesn't know, I think, or maybe he does. All right, but what, is it, what are some other things it might look like? New creation. Yeah, Jake. I think I see it in adoption and foster care. For sure. Yeah. Adoption and foster care. Um, what, what about uh, having conversations with people about they're outside of Christ? You, you, need to, you need to be, if anyone is in Christ, there's new creation. If you're outside of Christ, there isn't. Do you know him? You know? Not in an arrogant way or just, hey, here's a bunch of rules, let me hammer you with this. Let me show you the beauty of this other life. It, it begins with you accepting what Jesus did for you on the cross, repenting of your sins and being baptized. And you, you need to talk, let's talk about that. All right? What about our family dynamics? Like, I need to work a whole lot more on just like the fruit of the Spirit and at home. Monty does. Being more gentle, being more patient, that kind of thing. That's part of it too, right? Just our demeanor. Yeah. I was going to say just as a as a church, it's going to mean that we're necessarily different in the way that we interact. And, and you know, it means that people who normally wouldn't like or tolerate me and some of my quirks are forgiving of those things yeah. and they embrace them and they help me work on them. Um, it means that we, we prefer or choose one another, you know, over other stuff that may be fun. You know, mm -hmm. however you define that, you know, fishing, football. You know, vacation, whatever the thing is, you know, it, it's an intentionality that says, you know, we're, we're a part of a different community that looks and acts different mm -hmm. uh, than everything else around us. And, and that that's going to have trickle down effect that you've already mentioned some mm -hmm. of it, you know, the, you know, the way we raise our families, um, mm -hmm. the way we spend our money, uh, yeah. the, you know, the way we interact with our community and mm -hmm. the reasons we interact with community. Sure. Um, uh, so so it's, it just has, you know, I think the church itself, I mean, you know, J Jesus clearly in, on the last night of his life, we've talked about that recently, you know. Mm -hmm. By this, people are going to know you, you know, mm -hmm. by the way that you love one another. Great. Let, yeah, go ahead, Nick. Um, I, I would just throw in that creation is part of new creation. So sure. yeah. the way we interact with our our world and, and whether we strip mine it and, you know, blow over the creation mm -hmm. because we can or we take care of it and work it in the way that God originally intended us to mm -hmm. is, is, you know, part, excuse me, part of it, you know, 
and it, but it, on the flip side, it doesn't go all the way toward worship of creation. Like it's, it right. takes that middle road of saying it's a God-given gift and we work it the way he intended us to, but we don't either devalue it so much or value it so much that it, it becomes an idol or uh, something to abuse. Excellent. And the fact that there are people out there making an idol out of it does not absolve us of responsibility to appropriately care for it. Any more than, there are people who make idols of their spouses out of romantic love. The, a romantic comedy is basically, you're my soul, you know, that's the transcendent other that isn't God. You don't even know, they don't make those anymore, I don't think, but they did before COVID. Now it's like, what? Seems, anyway, um, I've seen all of them, by the way. Just kidding. All the Nicholas Sparks, all of them. I don't know, maybe not all, but like 90% of them. Um, so yeah, because somebody is making an idol out of their marriage partner or their girlfriend or boyfriend doesn't mean that romantic love and ultimately biblical marriage is bad. Who does that? We don't do that with anything else. But because it's a culture war item, we, we let the political discourse do our theology for us. That's a mistake. Because why is it that Proverbs says that a man who is cruel to his beast is a fool, not a godly person? There are however many thousands of people in Nineveh, I forgot how many, plus many cattle that God was trying to save. Why in Deuteronomy does it say when you siege a city, does it say when you besiege a city, don't cut down all the trees. They're not making war against you. These are passages in the Bible. Not a bird falls without the Heavenly Father knowing. It, you know, I realize we've got people right now going, oh, you're giving me kumbaya, whatever. You're, you're reading culture war into it instead of going from the Bible out, in my opinion. Nobody would have said that 50 years ago. Might be 50. Nobody would have said that prior to the 60s and 70s. Christians, nobody would have gone, oh, we shouldn't care for this. We're reacting to something you think is something else. But what if the Bible is not, neither of those extremes? That's why I don't like, I don't ever love that there's this extreme, this extreme, but the truth's probably in the middle. Sometimes the truth's nowhere in the middle. It's framed wrong. Truth's in here. And what culture does around it where it builds its fences and ditches, that, they may be all off to, all together. Anyway, I'm on a tirade. Let's move on. If anyone is in Christ, there is new creation. Here's one more word in here I want us to see and ask a question or two about. We're not going to be able to, I'm going to have to rush through this. Um, but when he says there is new creation, I know that every version doesn't put it this way. I want to, this is a little bit of a nerdy New Testament Greek point, but I think it's really crucial. The reason I ask you in the email to read it in the NRSV, New Revised Standard Version, or the NIV is because I believe they get the, the Greek more literally here than the ESV, which I typically use, or the New American Standard or the King James. You, know, you think, oh, the New American Standard, that's super literal. Not always. It does some interpolating with this verse. Interpolating means supplying words for what they think it means. So here's the actual Greek. It's that little sentence. But what, if you just translate the words into English, it really is saying only this. If anyone in Christ, new creation. The ellipsis I have, or the three dots, isn't, I'm, I'm not leaving out words. It's just there's not a verb there. He doesn't say this. This is what the NASB says. I'm not picking on it. I have one. I've used it many years. In the old American Standard, even before that. It's just this is an example of what I'm saying. The, the, credit the New American Standard Version for when they do interpolate, when they do put extra words and they put them in italics, you can know that they're not in the original. The, the, I think some versions of the King James do that nowadays, but a lot of versions will do that. They'll go, look, look, we're we think this is what it's saying. 
because language isn't just math, you know, one for one. It doesn't work that way. There's idioms and all sorts of stuff, different constructions. Uh, if you've ever taken a year of Spanish, you know that, right? So if anyone is in Christ, this person is a new crea creation. Some versions say this person's a new creature. The problem is this person is, those words aren't in the Greek. The Greek is if anyone in Christ, new creation. So what's the new creation? There's no verb, there's no this person, there's no he or she, which some versions will put. It's assuming with those renderings that what it's talking about is you individually became a Christian, right? If you're in Christ, you're a new creature. That is true. And maybe the way he puts it, which is much more broadly than that, is to include that and everything else, which is what the Bible usually says. He's not just working on you and me and who cares about the world, who cares about racism, who cares about nations fighting nations, who cares about injustice, who cares about all the other things the Bible talks about, upside, one side down the other in the prophets. Who cares about the, the, the world, the physical world, God? He's not saying that. If you're in Christ, there's a new reality, I think is the point. If anyone is in Christ, voila, new creation. Your, your, your head ought to explode. You've, the, the future has landed on you. The coming future is here. It's already started. In your heart, in your life, you're being transformed, but so is everything around you. You're, you're, you're alert. You're, you're sensitive to what the Lord and the Spirit are doing out there to make the world right. Because the resurrection of Jesus is a foreshadowing of the resurrection of everything, including our own. That's a much more cosmic, big, hopeful, positive picture to talk, what John was talking about. I think than just saying, let me tell you what, there's 440 ways you've messed up. You're going to hell if you don't get it right. Because they're not going to get it right anyway. You're not getting it right. If you're comparing yourself to God, none of us is. All have sinned and fall short of his glory. All right, the, per the point is this person is is not in there. So this, this is a, a rendering that's much broader than that. Now, what, there's another key word in here in this text, and we'll see if you know it, noticed it, that should really let us in on what living as new creation involves. Starts with an R. It's in here a whole lot. This is a different slide. I'm just showing you here that it's about everything. There's new creation. See, everything is old. Everything was old passed away. Everything has become new. He's reconciling the world to himself. Now, what's the R word? There we go. I'm out of line. I'm trying to hurry and skip certain things, and, I for, and so mess me up a little bit. I'm actually at 11.15 already, so thank you, though. Uh, there's, we have a ministry of reconciliation. Look at this. All of this is from God who reconciled us to Christ, given us a ministry of reconciliation. In Christ, God was reconciling what? The world to himself. Everything that old has passed away, everything has become new. It's about the world. That includes us because we're in the world. But it's not just us out of the world. We're part of it. In fact, he wants to take his image bearers and use them to go and send them, like he did back in Genesis, and to reflect his glory to the world and bless it. Anyway, reconciliation. So, what does that mean? What all needs to be reconciled? This is a live question. I don't have it on the screen, but what are some of the things, biblically speaking, from the whole arc of the biblical story, if we have been given a ministry of reconciliation, and that's what new creation in the present, in our lives, looks like, what are some of the kinds of things that need to be reconciled? Relationships. Relationships. So I'm in a family, and there's this estrangement that has been going on for years, some sin, 
one way, both ways. You can let it lie forever. Or you can kind of take the gospel approach and try to reconcile. In friendships, church member relationships, what about that? What, I mean, what, what about beyond that? What's the opposite of reconciliation, would you say? Division, estrangement, alienation. What are some things in the world that are not nations? I'm not, I, I, don't, you know, I don't know what to do about Ukraine, Russia, but I sure love all the stuff I'm seeing on the world going, we're behind Ukraine. I love that. It makes my heart, I think it's very Christian. I mean, how many times the prophets say, stand up for the marginalized, stand up for the weak, right? <laughs> my goodness. Talk about an unfair fight. Um, anyway, I'm not going to get into that. But that's, that matters. It's God's world. What about racism? Don't get political in the church. Jesus did. In Luke 4, when he announces Messiah, he said, I'm coming to set the oppressed free. Right? Freedom from the, for the prisoners, the version that Greg read a minute ago. That's very socioeconomic. Everything. People to people. People to the world. And then people to God. And he talks about that here too. Um, so Isaiah 2 says that nations are going to beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks in the New Jerusalem. They will not lift up sword against the nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. That's the new creation. What if you were in a position of influence and you could start exuding that influence now? Well, that's later. Well, we're not supposed to commit sexual immorality now. The moral things we, I think, should start now. Why not socioeconomic things, if they're, if they're biblical? We should work on everything that's unreconciled and try to reconcile it to, to the extent that we can in our own little corner of the world. Um, you've put off your old self with its practices and put on a new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, in Christ, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all. There's a unity in God's people that does call out racism and classism or whatever. All the other, all the other things mentioned, about all of them are mentioned here. He says, Christ becomes your new identity. Right? You're not a white person who goes to church and has Jesus or a black person who goes to church and has Jesus, you're a Christian who happens to be white or black or rich or poor or American or Russian. That's your number one identity. It doesn't erase the others, but it trumps them and transcends them. Um, but it is also about sin, personal sin. In fact, that's the thing that took creation off course. So he says that in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's 2 Corinthians 5, the last verse of this paragraph that Greg read, where he talks about if we're in Christ, there's new creation. It is not limited to getting me right with God because of my sin. It's not limited to my individual salvation, but it certainly begins with that. That's the heart of the whole thing. That's what took creation off the tracks, right? Human sin. And so we can have reform movements all day long every kind of social reform movement. And until we work on individuals as sinners, estranged from God, we're, we're kind of barking up the wrong tree. It, it, it has to have Jesus. And, and we have to be redeemed. We have to be newly created. Let me ask it this way.
dimension of the world is Jesus not Lord over? What facet of this creation is he not the Lord over? Nothing. Nothing. So how, do we, how can we say, well, racism doesn't matter? He's not Lord over you know, reconciliation of races. Well, it sounded like it in Promised Abraham when he said that all the tribes or all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. In Galatians 3, when he says, you're children of the promise to Abraham, he says what? When you're baptized into Christ, you put on to Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free, male nor female. Sounds like it's pretty central. He's king of kings is king of kings. He's Lord over everything. Um, so here's what Christopher Wright says about this in a little book on the mission of God and how our idolatries, our cultural and social idolatries, are what have taken us away, Christians, from the true biblical mission of God and made it much narrower often than it really should be. He says this, All this is integrated and motivated by the centrality of the gospel of the kingdom of God in the lordship of Jesus Christ. Everything flows from that. Everything in mission flows from the lordship of Jesus over all things. We build the church because Jesus is Lord of the church. So that's what Daniel said. We prefer one another in the church over all these other things. Why? Because my Lord that I'm claiming is Lord of the church. We serve society because Jesus and not Caesar or Joe Biden or Vladimir Putin or anybody else, you know, the president or leader du jour, doesn't matter, not Caesar is Lord of every nation, government, and culture, whether they acknowledge it or not. We manage creation with godly use and care because Jesus is Lord of heaven and earth. Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Every dimension of our mission flows from the Lordship of Christ and from the will and mission of God that the whole world and all creation will come to recognize that fact. And in doing so, we will come to know, love, praise, and worship our Creator and Redeemer. I don't even know where I am in my notes. <laughs> so what's more, Wright in his book asks this, when you're trying to think, what's more important, individual salvation or kind of you know, addressing individual sin and redemption or addressing the effects physically, socially, economically, politically of sin out in the world? He says it's like asking what's more necessary, air or water. What do you guys, if you could pick one, which one? Anybody like a, kind of a, I like water so much I don't need air. Isn't that a ridiculous question? Maybe you pick, pick uh, air because you can last a little longer. But that's a, that's, that's a Hobson's choice. You don't want to choose that. Another way to put this is how can we integrate both facets of our mission as ministers of reconciliation. When I say both, I'm talking about individual stuff. The thing we've typically narrowed it to, and that is you need Jesus, you individual. But then also the world needs Jesus. He is in a project of newly creating it, and he's asking you to become a part of that. This doesn't look like that. Let's work on it. Those are the two facets. How do we integrate them? Real question. Any ideas? I know it's a big question. Yes. Um, Nick, I, I think in the Don. question, air or water, and, and you kind of alluded to this, it's, you know, well, air is sort of more immediate need. You can last about two minutes without air, something, you know, like that. Maybe there are people who can last slightly longer than that, but not very long, right? Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, the, the mission of, of individual salvation, 
may be a slightly more immediate need, but it, as you mentioned, it doesn't negate the, the sort of outflowing effects of mm -hmm. that. And, and you need the water too. You need the reconciliation of all of those facets you know, in addition to the individual salvation. So, so yeah, do we, you know, do we maybe start with the thing that's a more Im immediate, more pressing need? Yes, but do we stop there? No, and maybe that's how we integrate it. We, ma we make sure that our, our mission continues out from not just we got that person saved, you know, that person saved, that person saved, that person saved, to what does, as you've already addressed many times today, what does that look like? What does, mm -hmm. what does new creation look like mm -hmm. after we're yeah. saved? Excellent. Don? Yeah, it's kind of the same thing. I mean, without individual salvation, you can't, the world is made up of individuals, and it takes individuals to make differences in the world. And so, like you said, the most immediate need is individual salvation. Sure. But then we're to go forth as you know, the mission to make other disciples mm -hmm. and, and, and work through the world that way. So Yeah, excellent. I love it because you guys are keeping the balance. I don't even think it's balance. I think, I think you do have to prioritize a bit. It's not really a this or that. So I struggle with even how to word the question because the question already frames it a little wrong. It's more like the heart and the flesh around it, like the hub of a wheel, and then you know, the spokes go out to other things. And it's all, you don't have a wheel without the whole thing. You know, take the rest of your bikes, the parts of your bike wheels off and just have the hubs. Ride around with your sprocket, you know, or whatever those things are, hubs, I guess. You've got to have the spokes and the, the you know, the, the, the frame and the, the, the rubber and the air, if they're, you know, pneumatic tires and all that. It's all part of a wheel. So it's kind of the heart, but then it's got to flow out to the rest of uh, the, the natural implications that grow from it. One more quote, we'll stop after this. This is Dallas Willard, a book called The Divine Conspiracy. Jake uh, reminded me of this chapter. It's an excellent chapter in the book. Um, I think it's the second chapter. Um, when we were going through the mission of God, but I don't think I ever used this quote. So he's talking about this, this <clears throat> evangelicals in American history have reduced the whole gospel story down to just a drama between individuals and God. And that has all kinds of negative ramifications. For one thing, it doesn't make for personal holiness. If all you're going to talk about is how you get saved. What happens is you got a whole lot of people in one group, they got baptized for mission sins. Another group, they said the sinner's prayer. Another group, they did this. Another group, they got sprinkled. Another group, and yet a whole 90% all of them aren't living any different than their worldly agnostic neighbor. They're not transformed. They just are arguing over that. So it can't just, the gospel isn't just about how do you manage sin. That's a little, that's a piece of it. It's a crucial piece of it, but how you handle sin, but he, he, he calls this the gospel of sin management and sees it as a distortion. And I think he makes a good point here. All right, he says, history has brought us to the point where the Christian message is thought to be essentially concerned only with how to deal with sin. That's it. Life, actual like existence, life, our actual existence is not included in what is now presented as the heart of the Christian message. Or, it is included only marginally. This is where we find, that is where we find ourselves today. When we examine the broad spectrum of Christian proclamation and practice, we see that the only thing made essential on the right wing of theology is forgiveness of the individual sins. On the left wing of theology, it is removal of social or structural evils. Racism, you know, inequality of income, that kind of thing. 
the current gospel that becomes, quote, or then becomes, quote, a gospel of sin management. Transformation of life and character is no part of the redemptive message. What right and left have in common is that neither group lays down a coherent framework of knowledge and practical direction adequate to personal transformation, notice this, with a corresponding redemption of ordinary life. How do we get the kind of personal transformation that starts inside me, but then automatically, not when we think about it later, we see the whole thing as a one big ball of wax, automatically, I begin to look at all of normal life needing redemption, and I begin to do my little part in that. Doesn't 2 Corinthians 5.17 address that directly? If anyone is in Christ, there's a new creation going on, and you just, you just jumped on that project. That's what it is. It's going on since the resurrection of Jesus, but now you're a part of it. He's raising the dead in you every day. He's raising the dead in your sphere of influence at work or out when you go vote or when you help somebody on the side of the road or when you start working on that problem with your friend that's estranged you for 25 years or you start acting like a godly husband. He's raising the dead in you. He's creating you afresh. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. Thanks for your attention today. If somebody is here and wants to start this life, wants to be in Christ, when one is baptized into Christ, they put on Christ, Galatians 3.27 says. Um, and you, you begin to transcend all these other things that, that we find our identity in, whether it's you know, race or ethnicity or your nation or your gender or your class. There's neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free, male or female. We are all one in Christ Jesus and heirs to the promise to Abraham. Remember what we, we've been re reading and learning? Abraham was told, through your seed, which Galatians 3 identifies as Jesus, all the people, all the tribes, all the families, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And, and Galatians 3.27 says that begins with us individually when we're baptized into Christ. New creation starts. Let's think about that when we're intentional as a church more and more going forward about mission. Let's try to keep the, full, the fully orbed, you know, the biblically described picture with all the dimensions and facets about what we're a part of as we start trying to be more intentional about being missional people. Appreciate your attention today. Let's all stand together and sing.